This series, Be the Message, we're going through some basic aspects of our faith. Basic aspects of Christianity. But guess what? If we're going to win in this mission that God's called us to, we need to be good at the basics, right? We need to have those down and we need to keep, uh, we need to continue to review them at times and be up to date on them. We also, I feel as though, uh, some of us might be getting pushed around in this life. I don't know if it's a situation you're going through. I don't know if it's the devil as he's attacking you. I don't know what it might be, but we're on the defensive. We're being pushed back. That puts us back on our heels. That's not a winning posture. And I know that we need to sometimes be reminded, because I do, that we serve a God who has already won the victory. Amen? Amen. He's already done it. We're just walking it out. It's not as though failure is really going to happen to us in the big picture. But we're already on the winning team. We're already a part of the winning program. And we need to get back into an offensive posture in our lives. There is not a situation you're going through that is going to defeat you. Unless you allow it to by getting your focus off the one who is in charge, Jesus. There isn't a situation where you're going to lose unless you allow it to become that in your life. That has to do with our mindset and our attitude. So as we go through this series on Be the Message, I want to encourage us to remember that we're here as representatives of Jesus in the world. And we can be on the offensive, moving out into the world around us, taking the message of the gospel as we live our lives. How was that? And that's all right? Yeah. Hey, man, I'm trying. I hopefully, hopefully that connects. I thought it made sense. But, um, but yeah, listen, one game at a time. It'll be uh, it's that kind of season. Um, we got a card from uh, one of the families that we've helped through, the, um, through our uh, flood relief uh, efforts that we did as a church. This was before I got here, but I've heard about it. Pastor Giles told me about it. And uh, what a cool thing that you guys did to come together, to rally together, to collect resources, also to raise some money, I think, through t-shirt sales. And so there's a family here, the Cook family. I think uh, they are in uh, Prince, Nebraska. But we were able to help them a number of times. He's in law enforcement, and they actually had their home flooded, and and a lot of destruction happened for these guys. Um, There was a young man last night who knows this family, so he's like, I was pronouncing the name Co because it's K-O-C-H, and I know a family pronounced that way. He's like, nope, it's Cook. So anyway, um, but we did. We were able to send them several times, send them some checks with, uh, with money to help out, and they just communicate what a blessing that was. That money came very timely, that God really used our church to meet those needs and help them, and so um, they're very encouraged and very grateful. So I just wanted to encourage you with that that God is, continues to use, um, oh, it also says they moved back into their home July 17th. So they did get back in their home. And so thank you for your generosity and for, um, you know, for blessing, uh, I know many different families through that effort. So good job at being the message. Well, when I was a kid, if you wanted to have your own personal phone, you would have to go collect, um, after your mom was done cooking, you'd have to kind of go look in the, I don't know, it wasn't really the trash, there wasn't recycling then, but you try to find some empty tin cans, you know, and then you'd find some string and you'd tie between them and then you would uh, put one up to your mouth and your buddy or your brother, whoever would put it up to his ear and you'd try to say something and hope that he might be able to understand you kind of. And uh, to be honest with you, my brother and I never got those to work, but 
theoretically they work. But anyway, today, obviously, it's, it's very different, right? Um, everybody has a phone. Our kids get phones younger and younger. At some point, they're probably going to be born with a phone attached to them somehow. I don't know. But, uh, but the reality is, you know, I kind of lucked out a little bit in the, just the rollout of phones, cell phones with my kids as I was raising them because, um, my oldest was, uh, really didn't get to a place where there was an expectation where she was like, could I please have a phone? It wasn't until she was 14. And so because she got a, fo- a phone at 14, guess what my other kids how long they had to wait to get a phone. Yeah, it's fair, right? I mean, that's only fair. And I'm trying to be fair as a parent. I mean, clearly that's one of my primary goals is to be fair with my kids. And so, uh, yeah, so they all had to wait 14, which I was kind of glad for because though there are some safety concerns that are answered with a phone, seems like the problems can be a lot more. And so, Everybody's got a phone and our kids can get online. They're connected, right? They can download music and movies and tweet and text and whatever else. And, uh, and so we're all connected more. And so we would think that because we're more connected, that our relationships would be better. But I don't know about you, but it certainly doesn't look like that's what's happening to me in our world. It doesn't look like just because we can communicate easier that we're communicating better, Right? You guys see that too? I mean, I I see uh, just a lot of miscommunication, arguments, frustration that happens on uh, through the interweb that isn't good. It's not helping us. It's not bringing our country together. It's dividing us. So we have um, have this problem with communication. And though we have uh, these devices that are smartphones, I think they're kind of making us dumb when it comes to deep communication, deep relationships. I'm not saying it's ever been easy, but I don't know that this is helping us. And so sometimes we need to step back a minute, disconnect from that world, and remember that we need to be connected in the real world that we live in. We have relationships that are important at home, our families, our spouses, our kids, our parents. Those relationships are so important. And communication within the family is essential, good communication Clear communication is essential to success. I mean, communication breakdowns in the family can cause major problems. They can divide uh, spouses. They can cause rifts between parents and children. There are all kinds of difficulties that can be caused when communication isn't clear. Same thing can happen at work. Um, and, and so um, it becomes so important that our communication is clear. And communication is not just about words, right? It's also about actions. That's part of the reason that uh, I think texting communication has a breakdown because it really doesn't communicate everything. I mean, when email first came out, I remember people getting fired because they tried to send a sarcastic email to somebody they worked for. It didn't work. Fail, you know, didn't, that didn't, the communicator, the sarcasm did not come through. It just looked like an insult. And so we've kind of learned, now there's these emojis or whatever, you know, there's uh, faces. So you can say, hey, I'm sending you this message and I'm smiling while I'm doing it. So I don't know, man. Uh, But anyway, I know that we need to figure out communication in person and we need to go, uh, we need to learn maybe in some cases or be reminded of what good, deep, authentic communication looks like. It's important for all of us. Military commanders know that if they can break down the communication in the enemy, they have an advantage instantly. 
And they can quickly defeat even an army or a force that's larger and has more resources. If they can break down communication, man, they can wipe them out quickly or take the victory. And so Satan also knows, does he not, that we have communication issues in our homes and in our jobs and in the places where we live. And don't you think he would want nothing more than to break down that communication, cause conflict, bring tension And difficulty and strife into those relationships so that they become ineffective. So that we're not able to communicate well. We're going through this series, we're looking at going into the world. We're looking at the places where we live, where we work, where we play. And recognizing that God wants to use us to be the message in those arenas. That we have these areas where we get to um, interact with people. These arenas where we have relationships. uh, And we need to um, be the message or live out the gospel in those arenas. That really we're not just there on accident. We're not just there because, um, you know, we chose to be there. But as followers of Jesus, there's a purpose behind it. That God has put us into those arenas with purpose. And we need to stay focused on that. But uh, sometimes it's easy for some of us to sort of overlook some of the important relationships close to us, like in our homes, and look past those to say, hey, I want to reach the world and I need to make an impact. And that can be easy for some of us. And so I just want to encourage us as we're looking at this, that the impact we have outside in the world is not as important as the impact we have in our own homes. And some of us need to focus this series and what we're learning here on our homes. So we being the message just in, inside of our family units. That's where our efforts are needed. And so I just want to encourage you with that. You know, as a pastor, I'm called certainly to reach the world. Uh, I had a passion very early, uh, even as a child, to reach my friends, to see them come to know Jesus. I just so desperately wanted them to have a relationship with Christ. And so I would share with my friends. I would talk to them about God. And that's been something that's been a part of my life. But, you know, as much as I'm called to this region to reach this world, my priority ahead of that is to this church. I've been called to be a pastor here and to serve you guys and to help you and support you as you try to follow Jesus and you work through the difficulties and the highs and the lows of life. And so I know that before reaching the world, it's a higher priority that I focus on this church. And then before this church, I have as a priority my family. So I better be focused on my wife and loving her and being a godly husband in my home and to my children who don't live at home anymore but still need a dad in some ways. I better be focused on them, right? That priority comes before the church. And then before my family comes my relationship with God. And I better be spending time and have good communication that's open and healthy and active with my God. This keeps our priorities straight as we go through life. And it's important that we keep that straight as we go through this series. Let's not pass over the relationships in our homes to make an impact in the world, but let's stay focused on uh, infusing and putting energy into those relationships as well. Well, I want you to think for a minute as we talk about communication. This uh, message is called Finding Your Voice, and we're talking about finding that way in which we communicate the gospel to the world around us. And I want to help you with that. I'm, I've been encouraged by this and certainly challenged and have learned this week as I've looked at it. So I want to share this with you. How do we, um, how do we have effective communication? 
Because if we're going to share the gospel and we're going to be effective at that, of course, that's important. And so how do we do it? And I want to look at that this morning um, because it's so important. And as we just start this morning, I'd like you to think about the areas in your life. Whether it's work, at home, uh, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's in some other arena where you're interacting with people. And think about a relationship where maybe there's been a communication breakdown, where there's a struggle for you. And you're trying really hard. You're trying to break through, to connect, to communicate. It just doesn't seem like it'll work. Like you just can't figure it out. No matter what you do, it, it just isn't working and there's a breakdown there. I want to encourage you because probably most of us have at least one of those in our lives. That's kind of common. So I want to encourage you this morning that where you're having communication breakdown, you can experience or move to a communication breakthrough. That because of the God we serve, who Jesus himself, so God, came to this earth to break through the communication barrier that God had with human beings, where we didn't understand who he was, we couldn't connect with God very well, that he did everything. He moved heaven and earth to connect with us, to communicate with us. And he did it effectively. And so I want you uh, to be encouraged by that, that we can experience a breakthrough. And we're going to walk through four keys to communication this morning and look at a passage in Scripture that's kind of our key passage for this series. It's found in John chapter 1. It's verse 14. So if you want to grab a Bible or look up on your phone, on your Bible app, John 1.14, we're going to read that in just a minute, but I want to help with us. This is so important. I know you understand how important it is because when there's communication breakdown, things can really fall apart quickly and it can hurt us. It hurts the relationships we care about. And so it's so important that we get this. And so let's look at it this morning, and hopefully you'll be encouraged by this message and the keys that are in here. So the passage is John chapter 1, verse 14. This is what it says. If you want to read along with me, it'll be up on the screens as well. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me just pray for us as we move into the the rest of the message. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for each person that's here. I thank you for your word, for the uh, truth that's contained there, the insights for our lives. Father, thank you for your spirit who comes to dwell in us when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us. And the spirit that speaks to us, that convicts us, that confirms what we need to know so that we can continue to grow in our relationship with you And Father, so we can live out this gospel message. I pray for each one of us that we might continue to grow and learn and you'd give us some insight from this, from your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing, the first key to effective communication, if we're going to find our voice, we're going to learn to to share the gospel with the world around us, the first thing that we need to do is our first point this morning is that we need to um, do this. Before I open my mouth, I must open my heart. Before I open my mouth, I must open my heart. Why? Well, the reason for it is that communication is not all through words. A lot of communication comes non-verbally. It comes through who we are and the presence we bring to a place with our attitude, with, um, with whether or not we have our defenses up or we're open. All of those things are part of communication. And so before we open our mouth to speak, in order to be effective, we need to open our heart first. You know, we see this with Jesus. 
Because Jesus sat on a throne in heaven um, with God the Father, the Holy Spirit. They were there, um, worshipped and adored by angels, recognized for who they are, the one God of the universe. And so here they are in this position. And Jesus was in a place where there was some comfort, where he, was, uh, he had things the way that they should be. And God, in his wisdom, and because of his grace and mercy, chose to have Jesus, the Son, come to earth and leave that place of perfection and come to a place that is marred and stuck in many ways in sin. It's dirty and messy, and we know that because we live in it. And the God of the universe made himself accessible and vulnerable as he came to dwell with us. And the purpose, of course, was to bring us salvation, the ability to reconnect with God himself. This is what Jesus did. You know, Jesus could have come to the earth as an adult. He could have appeared on the earth as a 30-year-old man and begun his ministry and, and gone through it and done just fine. And everybody would have said, where did you come from? And it just wouldn't have mattered, right? He would have said, from heaven, like he said anyway. He could have done that. But isn't it fascinating? Doesn't it say something about God? That Jesus came not as an adult, but as a vulnerable baby. You know, God isn't needy. Jesus doesn't need anything, right? We know the scriptures teach us that God is all-sufficient. He contains within himself everything that's needed for his own existence, for his own um, uh, happiness and, and prosper, you know, in order to prosper. He doesn't need anything else. But Jesus comes, God in the flesh, and starts as a baby who is needy who needs to be fed, who needs his mom, who needs his dad in order to survive. It says something about God that he was willing to become vulnerable, to enter this world in a vulnerable way. And it speaks to us as we go through this life. If we want to have effective communication, if we want to have relationships, we need to learn how to be vulnerable. We need to open up a little bit and share our hearts. There's a little book that I've uh, read recently called The Rusty Night. I don't know if you've, uh, or the knight in rusty armor, sorry, the knight in rusty armor. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's kind of a little kid's fable, but it's a story that has a purpose to it, it teaches a lesson. And it's a story about a knight who uh, would dress up in his armor and go out to war. And he would fight with the king and for the king or under the king's banner. And he loved to fight in battle and he learned how to be successful there and he would win. And he was a key uh, component of the king's strategy to defeat the enemy. And he was always ready to go on a campaign or mission. But as he got older and as he lived life, you know, he was married. He had a wife at home and a child. And as he got older, as he continued to fight more, um, he grew more comfortable in his armor, in his armor, than out of his armor. And so he began to just leave the armor on longer and longer. When he'd get home, he didn't take the armor off. Sometimes it'd take a couple of days. Sometimes he would leave it on for a month. And then all of a sudden, before he knew it, it was on all the time. He just was comfortable in it. He was protected in the armor. He was used to uh, its weight and how it felt. But the problem is that his wife started to say, husband, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a problem here. Like, I want to be able to see your face, but you have a mask over it. You have this helmet on. I can't connect to you anymore. I literally have to, like, feed you through the holes in your mask. You have to stuff food in there so you can eat. This is not working. I need to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And there's a dis now we're disconnected and there's a distance here. You need to take that armor off or I'm leaving. And so he, he thought, wow, okay. Ah, oh, man, I love my armor. I love going to war. <laughs> 
but I don't want to lose my wife and my comfortable home. And so he wrestled with it. And all of a sudden he goes, I, I got to go. Okay, I got to get my armor off. And so he started to try to take it off. The problem is he couldn't get it off. It'd been on there so long, it was like stuck on his body. He couldn't get his face mask open. He couldn't get the helmet off. And so he was stuck. And so he said, what am I going to do? He started to feel desperate, stuck in this armor. And so he went down to see the blacksmith. And on his way down, as he was walking up, the blacksmith was bending a horseshoe into place with his bare hands. The blacksmith was the strongest man in the, in the uh, kingdom. And so he, this guy can help me get this armor off. And so he went to the, king, uh, to the blacksmith and said, you've got to get this armor off me. And so the blacksmith said, fine, no problem. And so he started to work and, and rip on it and pull it and try to twist it and get it off. But it was stuck. He couldn't move it. And so, of course, the moral of the story is not hard to pick up on. When we go through life, we put on armor. As we go out into the world and fight our battles and do the things we need to do, we have to have armor. If we walk around with uh, ourselves exposed all the time and vulnerable, we're going to get hurt. You can't trust everybody with who you really are and with your heart. You just can't. There are people that will hurt you every time. And so it's wise to learn, I've got to put on some armor. I've got to have it. But the problem is that when we put it on and we keep it on and we grow comfortable with it, we distance ourselves from even those relationships that are most important to us. And it begins to hurt the people around us and it hurts us. And we do it because, honestly... None of us like to get hurt. None of us like that feeling. And all of us probably have experienced that hurt even from those we love the most. I always say that family, I think, can cause some of the deepest wounds because we're the most vulnerable in our families. We are uh, needy and need our families. And typically we're open. But we can learn to build up our armor and put it on and keep it on because we don't want to get hurt. It's understandable. But it's also damaging. And as we move into life and as we navigate through life, we've got to learn to be able to take the armor off. And it can be tough. I mean, there's times in life where we need to be armored up and keep it on. Uh, when my kids, I mean, my oldest is a girl. And when my daughter was kind of uh, very young, I used to talk about the whole dating thing. I started as young as I could. And I said, listen, uh, Jess, you'll be able to date some point. I'll let you date, but you know, let's, let's work at this. Let's kind of just be patient, see how it goes. And if everything goes well and you're maturing at the right rate and you're growing and you're doing good when you're 35, I'll let you start dating. And, uh, she was like, okay, dad, you know, when she was five and six and I started young, man, I'm like, I got to get in her head. I got to get an influence here, but you know, 12, 13, uh, it started to change and my influence wasn't as strong. And I remember the day she came home from junior high youth group. She said, dad, there's a boy that wants to be, he wants me to be his girlfriend. And I said, all right, listen, <clears throat> um, I don't know this guy. For all I know, he could be uh, Jesus, a teenage Jesus in the flesh. Okay. I don't know. But all I know is this, like I have earned the right to call you my daughter. You are mine. Okay some young man or person that I don't know has not done anything to earn the right to say you're my girlfriend. So we had this out, man. It was intense. Uh, we were in the backyard and we're going back and forth. I'm just lovingly, but with, uh, you know, everything I got trying to keep her from going in this direction. And uh, my wife claims it was like a six hour uh, deal. I don't know. It didn't seem that long to me. But anyway, at the end of it, I felt like I had kind of gotten through. And so uh, she said, oh, 
you know, reluctantly, she agreed not to become his girlfriend. And so she goes back. And I remember uh, the next day or a couple of days later, she comes home. And I'm like, hey, how are things going with it? And she's like, oh, he's on to somebody different. He's just a player, man. He wasn't really interested in me. And I was like, mm. <laughs> yes, dad was right. <laughs> Hey, listen, there's times I really did. I told my kids, man, keep your armor up. Uh, when you start dating, go date. Go out with, uh, with boys uh, to my daughters and girls to my son. Like, get to know them. Find out the kind of person that you'd like to marry, maybe, or what guys are like, like or, and girls are like. That's fine. Get an education. Just don't open your heart because I don't want you to get hurt. And what are you going to do in high school and junior high? You know, you're not going to get married right away, probably. And so just... Just keep it at that, you know, keep it in a safe place. Of course, I was trying to protect them. And uh, that's what dads do. But, but I think there's times we, we want to keep our armor on. We need to learn to do that. So um, it's okay. But getting vulnerable also becomes really important. And being able to talk about the things that are close to us. So how do we do it? If we have our armor on and we can't remember how to take it off, if you're having a hard time interacting with other people in a, in a real meaningful way, you feel like there's communication breakdown all the time, well, what, you know, what can we do? I think one important step in taking our armor off is this principle. Um, you can't reveal your heart unless you reveal your hurt. It's hard to reveal your heart to someone else unless you reveal your hurt. In other words, opening up and exposing the things where you've been hurt in life, the difficulties, the weaknesses, the problems that you've had, the failures. That's where real connection comes with others. I know when Mary and I first met, uh, the first week of college, we met and we started talking and we had this long talk. We kind of shared all of our lives, which were, you know, 18 years to that point. Not a lot, but it's what we had. And we felt like it was uh, a ton of stuff that had gone on. We just opened up. We shared our failures, our sin, the things that we'd struggle with. We just, it's all out there. And it, it developed a really quick connection. We felt really close very quickly because of that. When we open up and we share those aspects of our lives, it allows for intimacy. It brings us closer to someone else. Not being willing to share those things just keeps a distance if you lead people, if you have people under your leadership, they know that you make mistakes. They watch them. And you can either admit them and develop a closer bond with the people that work for you, which is a stronger form of leadership, which leads to more effectiveness in what you're doing. Or you can try to pretend like it doesn't happen and try to keep it, you know, and act as though, no, I didn't do anything wrong. Nothing happened there. There's nothing to see. I mean, that, we can do that because sometimes we think there needs to be this barrier between us. In order to be a leader, we need to act as though we don't make any mistakes, don't acknowledge any weakness. But it's really, it really hurts us when it comes to relationships. And so I think one of the reasons we're afraid of opening up, sharing these aspects of our lives is just we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be rejected. And that fear of rejection can really dictate our lives. It can control whether or not we're really willing to open up and to, uh, to connect with somebody at a deeper level. And so um, that fear can govern us. We don't want to live out of fear, though. The Scripture teaches us, uh, teaches us, actually, that we need to mature in Christ beyond that fear in relationships. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fear of life, a fear of death, fear of judgment is not, um, 
or excuse me, I skipped the word there. A fearful life, that is fear of death, fear of judgment, is not yet fully formed in love. See, what God wants to do is when we come to Christ, when we acknowledge and recognize where we stand with God, that we're enemies of God, there's this separation between us and him. We've been acting as his enemy. We've been living against him. That's why a lot of people are scared of God. Uh, just kind of have this fear that he's going to strike them down, or if they do the wrong thing, they're going to get punished immediately. There's this fear that people live under. And of course, coming to Jesus and recognizing what the gospel is, that God himself came to earth, uh, lived a sinless life, walked on this earth, um, and died on a cross for our sins, to pay for our sins, past, present, and future, all of them, so that when we put our trust in Jesus and what God has done for us, we can have a restored relationship. We can be made right with God. When we discover that, we can walk then in love instead of fear. And our fear of God changes from I'm afraid of God to I have a respect for God and who he is. Because I know what I know who he is. I know his character, but I have a relationship with him. So there's a great deal of respect, but I'm not afraid anymore. And this is the kind of thing that God wants to do in us. And honestly, guys, I want to set the bar kind of high here, but this is a reality. If we walk in that love, we can have fear, fear of hurt in relationships, fear in relationships can be completely removed from our lives. When God fills us and we walk in him and in his love, we learn that risking to have a relationship, to connect with someone who might hurt us, and I guarantee you will get hurt. If you open up, I'm not making a promise that you won't get hurt. But here's the thing, that hurt changes in how it impacts our lives. We're able to, um, we're able to absorb some of that hurt. We recognize that we're here to sacrificially care for others because our God did that for us. And so we begin to change our perspective on it. Rather than fearing others and worrying about how they're going to treat us and hurt us, we begin to embrace the fact that we're here not to worry about what they're going to do to me, but to influence and love and help them. And when my focus changes that way, it transforms the way I live my life. And I want to encourage us that we can do this. This is the kind of thing that God wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want us to live out of fear. And when we're afraid, we don't open up. But when we can get past that and recognize that our God, um, <laughs> that our God is good and he loves us and he wants to transform our hearts towards others, this transformation can take place. There's a movie called The Bucket List. Maybe you've seen it or heard about it, but the character, Jack, Nichol Jack Nicholson, is in the movie and he plays a character who finds out that he has just months to live. Right. And, uh, and so he just has months to live. And so his reaction to that after he gets over the shock and surprise is to say, well, Hey, if I'm going to die in a couple months, why don't I do all the things that I've always been afraid to do before? Cause I might get killed. That fear has gone now. And so he goes and does uh, the craziest things he can think of, you know, um, races, a, a race car on a track goes as fast as he can. He's not afraid of crashing and dying because he already knows he's going to die. He jumps out of an airplane with a parachute, waits until the last second, as close to the ground as he can get, pulls the chute. Because guess what? If the chute doesn't open, he hits the ground, he's going to die anyway. He doesn't scare it anymore. Says, I'm going to kiss the prettiest girl in the world, and if she slaps me, I don't care if she rejects me. I'm not scared of that anymore. You know, this is the way he's living his life with this newfound knowledge. The problem is there is one thing that still terrifies him. He's scared to death of it. And that is that he has an older, uh, he has an adult child, a daughter, who he's estranged from, hasn't talked to her in years, hasn't been able to connect with her. 
and he's scared to death of going and trying to reconnect. Even though all these other things he's able to do, but that one thing he's still terrified of. That's how relationships affect us, isn't it? But he overcomes that fear and he goes to her home and he knocks on the door and she comes and answers. And there's this awkward interaction where, uh, you know, uh, hey, how you doing? Oh, hey, dad, what are you doing here? You know, this weird and it's hard to watch and it's painful. And she invites him in, he goes in and he awkwardly apologizes. And then uh, a beautiful thing happens in the movie. There's a little girl that runs up to him and embraces him and hugs him and ends up kissing him and he kisses her. And he realizes that his daughter has had a little girl and he didn't know it. And so he had no opportunity to connect with her because he was estranged from his daughter. This breakdown in relationship had kept him from a grandchild. And of course, he loved her more than anything in the world. And after healing that and confronting that, he leaves having restored that relationship a little bit, but, but really having gotten to know his granddaughter and embrace her before he dies. And at the end of the movie, you see him going down a checklist, you know, checking off the things that he did. And he gets to that, kiss the most beautiful girl in the world. And he checks it because he understands that the essence of life is made up so much of in the relationships that we need to have. Guys, we got to open our heart before we open our mouth. We got to be willing to let people in. We've got to learn how to take off our armor. Some of us have forgotten and I want to encourage you, I, I've been there where I wanted to keep my armor on all the time, man. It was just safer. I get it, but let me encourage you. <laughs> You've got you to move through that. You've got to engage the process of opening up, taking the armor off, especially in our homes. Satan will only use those things to break us apart. And so it's worth it. Take the risk. Don't live out of fear. Allow um, love to transform you. You can do it. I believe in you. I know I didn't think I could do it at times in my life, and God brought me there. And so I just want to encourage you to do it. Second thing that we need to do if we're going to impact the world around us, find our voice, be the message, is we need to move into their world. We need to move into their world. You know, we have this statement. We talk about ourselves as believers, and there's non-believers, right? There's Christians, and there's non-Christians. There's church people and non-church people. So we have this uh, categories that we live in, and we all know why they're there. Uh, they're helpful. I guess they help us understand the world we live in. But sometimes there's a, they cause a disconnect or a separation that God doesn't intend. In John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he specifically prayed that we would stay in the world. He said, I'm not pulling them out of the world. They need to remain in the world because we're here for a purpose and a reason. We're here to make an impact. We're here to show people who Jesus is. And so just like God sent Jesus to this earth and he didn't protect him from the harm that came, he allowed him to go suffering or undergo suffering and persecution and misunderstanding and rejection. See, God has left us here, and we risk all of those things for the impact and the purpose that God has for us, which is to be the gospel. So we've got to move into the world. We can't allow that separation to happen and to stay there. You know, uh, statistics would say that a lot of most Christians, after becoming to faith, uh, after two years, they don't, have, they don't any longer hardly know or have any friends that are not Christians. And I recognize there's a reason for that that sometimes is important. <laughs> sometimes we've got to break away from the relationships that we had because they'll pull us back into the behaviors and sin that we're trying to get out of. And so I understand there can be a reason to disconnect. And sometimes it's absolutely essential. 
Because we've got to grow as followers of Jesus. So we don't stay in relationships just to say, oh, no, but pastor said I need to stay in the, you know, no. Okay, get out and get away from the sin you're struggling with. Get victory there. But what I am saying is that we need to stay connected. We need to have friends that don't know Jesus. We need to have relationships with people. It might be, it might be tough. You know, I've heard some stories recently where God um, has brought back some relationships from a time when uh, one of the guys here was, was uh, not following Jesus. Had friends and they were living uh, the crazy life, you know. Then he comes to Jesus, grows in his faith, and all of a sudden God starts reconnecting those relationships. So the point is this, that we've got to be willing. We've got to uh, intentionally sometimes make our way back into the world and connect with people that don't know God. For some of you, it's easy. You're doing it every day. But for some of us, we have a tendency maybe to isolate ourselves to um, insulate ourselves from, from the harsh world and from people that don't know God. And sometimes it's for good reason, but I just want to encourage you. God's called us to continue to remain here and to be a presence, to be salt and light to the world around us. We can't do that if we're hiding, right? We're not in a defensive posture. We're in an offensive posture. We're willing to engage, and God is calling us to that. When we raised our kids, we lived in communities where we were trying, oftentimes we were doing mission work or pastor work, we we're trying to reach the community. And our kids were made friends with people in families in the community that didn't know Jesus and didn't work Christian and they didn't run their home that way. And we didn't try to protect our kids completely from all of that. We taught our kids that we're here to live on mission. We're here to reach the world around us. And so there's some risks sometimes that we need to take. I'm not saying we allow our kids to be exposed to everything. No, we need to protect them. But I think sometimes we're too protective in that sense. It, it's okay. We need to teach our kids that we're living on mission. They can understand that and help them go after it. Every community that I've lived in or worked in as a pastor or missionary, I've had a job in the community. I've either volunteered with sports team or worked in different kinds of uh, situations, totally different things, not things that I was set out in my life to do usually. But uh, I looked for opportunities to have a job there so that I had a connection to the world around me besides just being a pastor. And sometimes that really helps. And moving here, um, we were able to get a little acreage and have some hay that I put up, you know, some alfalfa that I cut. And I've been Uh, trying to grow in my faith to the point that I was mature enough to actually put up hay because it takes a lot of spiritual maturity not to lose your mind and your Christianity. But I'm growing in that, right? (laughs) But here's the deal. Um, But the point is that God's given me that chance and I believe it's just because this is how my life's worked. It's how things have gone for me. Now I have, uh, you know, machines that break down. I got to get parts. And I, you know, you build relationships with people as you live your life. And that's just always happened for me. I think we need to realize that God has us in the world. He has us here for a reason, and we need to connect with people, not be afraid of it. Um, one of the key principles that we've been learning about through this series is in order to build those connections and, uh, and build those relationships with people that we need to have relationships with, we need to learn to listen. Listening is an important skill. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says this, because you might be intimidated by this whole thing, but listening is a powerful, powerful skill. This is what Proverbs 17, 28 says. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Look, I've been in situations where I was way too dumb to be in that room. I was with some high-powered people that were strong, effective leaders, and I was a young guy that knew hardly anything. And the way I navigated that room, I actually put this into practice. I just kept my mouth shut. Just sit there and 
nod and say, wow, that's great insight. Thank you. You know, you look like a genie. People, you walk out there, like, man, thank you for coming to see me. It was so good that you were here. I'm glad you were here. I got to stay in the room and stay a part of those things, even though I didn't, you know, I didn't deserve to be there because of what I'd um, accomplished. So it's a good principle. Listen, listen, and uh, learn and take in. People want us to really listen. They can tell when we're not connecting, when we're just hearing them. And so it's important. Another uh, a little tool that I've got for you is to, you can use caller ID, okay? The letter, you got the letters ID in it. Just remember that. Caller ID, when you're trying to figure out who somebody is and learn about them. The I stands for this. First, identify their needs. Identify their needs. If you uh, walk into a room, into a space where you're normally there, you connect with somebody, I guarantee you if you start asking um, what they're struggling with, what their needs are, you will end up having a conversation that's longer than you probably wanted, and you'll learn a ton if you listen. Because people are willing and ready to talk about the things they're struggling with. It's not hard. Some of you need to do that at home. Do you know your kids' needs, their real needs? I'm not talking about food and water and shelter. I'm talking about the deeper needs that they have. Do you know what your spouse's needs are? What your kids' needs are? Your coworkers? If you're a boss, do you know your employees' needs? What they're really after? The second, uh, the D stands for discover their dreams. So identify their needs and discover their dreams. There's that show on TV called Undercover Boss. I mean, that's like crack TV, man. You watch that, it's so good. I mean, these bosses go in, they put on a disguise and they live and work with their employees. They get to know them. And at the end, there's always these amazing emotional things where they're like giving them money to go to school or paying off a house loan. I mean, and they're, these people are just rocked. They're completely overwhelmed with the fact that someone they work for would want to actually help them at that level. This is powerful stuff, guys. It's powerful. Um, and, and for us to discover, you know, husbands go home and try this man, go home and say, honey, what are your, what are your dreams? Like, what do you dream of doing? I want to help make that happen. And she'll just faint right over on the ground. Then you get some smelling salts, bring her back to, and then she's going to love you for caring about what her deepest needs are, what her dreams are. Guys, we need to know this. We need to be figuring it out. We need to be um, looking into it and exploring it and discovering the people around us. We've got to go into their world. Third thing that we need to do is we need to speak and act in grace and truth. Speak and act in grace and truth. Jesus obviously did this. This scripture teaches us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And grace, what is grace? Well, it's, it's getting something you don't deserve. Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. We receive salvation from God, something we can't earn and we haven't done anything to deserve. And yet we get it as a free gift when we put our faith in Jesus. So this is the principle, giving something that, that the person receiving it doesn't deserve. They didn't do anything to earn it or get it and they can't pay you back for it. So I want to put another challenge on you. Last week we did the 21 challenge to spend 21 minutes a day, read one chapter in the gospel of John which has 21 chapters. So you got 21 minutes a day for 21 days and spend the rest of the time in silence and solitude. Just listen for God's voice, what he might want to say to you. So that was last week. This week, and don't quit doing that. If you haven't started, start. This week, I want to issue another challenge. What if we were to, um, to spread some kindness in this valley? I know you've heard of acts of kindness probably by now. Not a new idea. 
But sometimes we need to try an idea that's, that's been around. We need to do it again because it's good. And what if we were to just do random acts of kindness in this region to try to elevate the spiritual temperature like we've been talking about? You know, kindness speaks volumes. It speaks a lot to the world around us. It encourages people. Mark Twain said that kindness is the language the blind can see and the deaf can hear. It speaks a lot. So on your way out, there's three baskets between the two doors. There's some cards in there. Um, I think I've got one here. Uh, Deidre put, made these up. They're awesome. It says, be the message on one side. On the back, it says, a small act of kindness makes a world of difference. And then it's got our website. So what if you were to go through the line of scooters, pay for the person's coffee that's behind you, just pay for it. They're going to already know what the order is. You pay for that and you say, give them this card when they come up to the window. Tell them they got coffee on me today. How cool would that be? Man, what a lift. What a boost to your day. These little things. What if you were to rake somebody's leaves, neighbor's uh, leaves, maybe mow their lawn for the last time? I don't know. Maybe pay for somebody's uh, McDonald's in the lawn. There's so many different things you could do. But take three of those cards and just be aware as you go throughout this week. Look for opportunities to do something good for somebody. And don't say anything. Don't say anything. If you want to do anything, give them the card so they know it's a Christian that's done something good for them. Somebody that goes to church that's following Jesus. We want to encourage people in our region we could make a big difference. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, and we need to do more of it. We need to do more of it. Well, um, the second aspect of this is grace, but we also have truth. And we need to learn to speak the truth. There's two obstacles to speaking the truth. One is, I don't care enough about a relationship to speak the truth. If I speak the truth, there's going to be drama. There's going to be a mess. There's going to be an argument. I'm going to have to work through that. It's going to take a lot of time and effort. Not worth it. And so we just don't do it. We know the truth, but we choose to talk about the person behind there. But, you know, deal with it other ways. But having a direct conversation regarding the truth, we just shy away from it. Because the investment is a lot. Then there's the other side, which says, I'm going to speak the truth all the time. You know, I've, tuned, I, I've known people like that. They're just like, hey, I'm going to say the truth. That's just who I am. And I just speak the truth. The chips fall where they, uh, where they may. I'm not concerned about the response. I don't care how it impacts anybody. I'm just going to speak the truth. Well, okay. I mean, <laughs> it's important to have some tact <laughs> when we share the truth. It's not just about telling the truth as important as that might be. And so maybe we need to be reminded of what the scriptures teach us. Actually, there's a lot of relationship information in the Bible, right? It teaches us this. Ephesians 4.15 encourages us on how to speak the truth. This is what it says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth is supposed to be wrapped in love. <clears throat> Just like make a good burger, you wrap it in bacon, it's even better. In fact, wrapping almost anything in bacon makes it better. Because bacon is awesome, right? It's just one of the happy things about living on this earth that God gave us. But listen, we need to wrap the truth in love. Wrap it in love. It, it helps to make it palatable. It helps it to be understood and received in a good way. Instead of causing harm, though it can still hurt to hear the truth, it, it can help it be a productive thing. Something that builds others up instead of tearing them down. We should never share the truth with someone just to get it off my chest or to make me feel better. 
That's not the reason or motivation to share the truth. The truth needs to come because I want to help someone else. I want to invest in this relationship. I want to build them up. I want to help them get better. That's my motivation. Motivation matters a lot when it comes to relationships. People will know quickly what your motivation is. You just trying to get your way? Are you just trying to make your life easier? Or are you trying to help me? Are you trying to work with me to make us better? It, it, it's, a, it's an important principle. We can all learn it and improve on it. The fourth thing that we need to learn and we need to do or practice when it comes to communication is we need to call on Christ before I speak. Call on Christ before I speak. Um, the scriptures teach us <clears throat> that Jesus only spoke the words that the Father gave him. He spoke to people communicating who God, uh, God's message to the world. And we have that same opportunity. We can become a divine echo as we speak the words of Jesus to the world. We can become those people that are encouraging others. They're lifting them up. Calling on God can be as simple as a simple prayer before I have a conversation. Maybe even before my day. God, give me the words to speak as I go throughout my day and I talk to people. Help me to know what to say. Help me to be saying your words and what you would want me to communicate. It's important that we stay focused on speaking God's words and talking to him. He's promised to be available to us. Well, part of this message of finding your voice is knowing how to share the gospel. Um, I know that we need to live out the gospel first, but I want to make sure that you're equipped to share the gospel as well. There are times in your life that somebody's going to come up and you're going to run into a situation where somebody's going to be ready. They're going to need to trust in Jesus and they're going to be ready to do it. They might even be asking you how to do it. And I want to make sure you know how to do that. And so Pastor Ben, who leads our youth ministry here, is um, actually has equipped the young people, our youth, to know how to share the gospel. And there's a ministry that they've kind of utilized to do that called Dare to Share. In fact, they just went to an event yesterday, right? You guys had a good time? Went well? Good. Okay, so they're growing in this, and they're actually, they have a mission to share the gospel. Um, really, my heart for us as a church is that we're just prepared. We're equipped. We know how to do it when we come in those situations, and God brings us in a place where we need to help somebody, that we know how to do it. And so, um, Pastor Ben, though he's here, had a long trip yesterday, so he made a video. So um, we're going to watch that video real quick. This is on how to share the gospel with somebody else. Hey there, I'm Pastor Ben, and I wanted to share with you this incredible tool that we have to know the message of the gospel and be able to share it with the people around us in an easy way. We take the word gospel and we break it down into an acrostic. Let me show you how it works. Take the letter G. God created us to be with him. See, in the beginning when God made Adam and Eve, he formed them in his image, and he spent time in an intimate, close relationship with them. And all of us are created with that purpose to be in relationship with God. But then we get the next letter. Oh, our sins separate us from God. Sin is an open attack against the character of God. And once Adam and Eve chose to sin, they were no longer worthy to be in God's presence. All of us are born with a sin nature, and therefore we're born separated from the purpose that God has for us. We try to fix it by doing good things, but the problem is, in our next letter we see this, S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We try to pay with good deeds, but it's the wrong currency. God requires the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 puts it this way, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not about the good things that you do, but it's about the grace that God shows us through Jesus Christ, as we'll see in this next letter. P, 
Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. God sent his son Jesus who came and lived a perfect life and then gave himself up as a sacrifice for us, paying the debt that we owe to God and then raising from the dead as God declared that payment as accepted and gave Jesus the power to give you new life. Now E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We struggle with this one because we don't like that word everyone. We want to think that there's somebody who's done something so bad or has gone so far that God just wouldn't want them anymore. But here's the thing. Isaiah 59.1 says this. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. There's no one outside of the reach of God's ability to save. And if I were to truly know the depth of my heart and the darkness that's there, then I would understand how much I need that category of everyone. And I would realize that if God can save me, he can save anyone. Now it also says, trust in him alone. This is important because it's not about trusting in Jesus plus my baptism or Jesus plus the fact that I go to church or Jesus plus anything. It's simply what Jesus has done on your behalf to pay the debt that you owe to God and the fact that he is the only way for you to be saved. Now, if you put your faith in Jesus, we get to the last letter, L. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It's not when I die and get to heaven that I get to experience what it is to live with God. The moment I put my faith in Jesus, his Holy Spirit indwells me and I no longer go through anything in life alone. And I always have a hope, no matter how dark the times get, because of what Jesus has done and that life with him that I have that lasts forever. Let me break that down for you one more time really quickly. God created us to be with him, but our sins separate us from God. Those sins can't be removed by good deeds. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Now everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life, and life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. I want to put this in your hands. So if you have your smartphone, pull it out right now, and I want you to get this app. It's called Life in Six Words. In this app, that acrostic is displayed and also broken down in ways to make it easier to understand and use. You can use this as a tool while you're sharing with a friend right there, or you can use this app to study up so that you would be able to share it clearly. Also, in this app, they allow us to create groups. And I've created a group for Mitchell Berean where we can keep track of the gospel conversations that we have as well as keeping each other accountable and encouraged to be out sharing the gospel. We can also create cause circles where you put the names of your friends and family who don't know Christ and we begin the process of praying for them, looking for opportunities to care for them and ways that we can share with them. It's an incredible tool and I want you to have it. Also, I wanted to invite you to something. Maybe you've been in a place where you're going, okay, I know the gospel, but I just don't know how to bring it up. It seems so awkward in a regular conversation to just start talking about Jesus. I want to help you with that. And so what we're going to do is coming up in just a few weeks here at the church, we're going to offer something called a AAA cafe. What's amazing about this is it's a method called the AAA method where I teach you how to ask, admire, and admit. And it's an easy way to bring up the gospel in everyday conversations. You won't want to miss this. You're going to show up. We've turned the church into a coffee shop for a night. I'll make you a coffee and then I want to walk you through how you can ask questions about what someone believes, be able to admire something about it, and then admit why you have your faith in Jesus. It's going to be an incredible opportunity and I don't want you to miss it. So join us. Keep your eyes open 
for details on that. Hey, we as a church have been called to be the message. So let's carry this message out of these walls and start boldly proclaiming this truth to the people around us in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, and in our boldness to share with them the truth that they desperately need to hear. All right. Thank you, Pastor Ben. That was awesome. Hey, listen. Yeah. Good. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, we will communicate when that AAA Cafe is going to happen. Expect it in the next, uh, next couple weeks. But honestly, my heart, again, like I said, is just to empower you, equip you. Make sure that you know, you feel prepared, you know how to handle a situation when God brings those up. Uh, because he does in our lives. And if we're ready, we're able to step into it and help somebody. And there's nothing better than that. So I want to help you with that. So take advantage of that when it comes up. Um, so as we close today, three things. Keep the 21-day challenge. Take three cards um, and start showing acts of kindness this week. Really work on that and pray about it. Ask God to give you some opportunities. And then keep attending your life group. Stay in that. I know they're just starting to get really good. So um, I'm hearing good things about them. So encourage us. Guys, this isn't so much a study to grow our knowledge. Be the message is all about um, growing our action, right? It's, it's actions to put into practice some things that we know. And so I just want to encourage you to keep taking those steps. And, and you're going to be amazed at where you end up and how God uses you. Let me pray to close this. God, thank you so much for this church. I thank you for each person here and, um, and your love for them and your desire to reach in and touch their hearts and souls and awaken them to the idea that they could be used to help others, that there's so much power in their life and who they are. They have a life message as they live out the gospel. Others get to see that. God, uh, we know that people see and are watching us even when we're not aware of it. So I just pray that you would encourage us, empower us, help us to step forward and go on the offensive, no matter what's going on in our lives, God, that we would trust you with it and continue to walk with you so we could be the message in this region. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.